So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. Kafiyas are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafiyas, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organizations. From the traditional black and white kafiya to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Where your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Bring me shelter. I will not harm you. Bring me shelter, please. Bring me shelter. I will not harm you. I would shelter you. People would do anything for their families. It could happen to anyone anytime. Somebody in France, somebody in England basically sat down with a ruler and just drew lines on maps. There are many different ethnic and religious groups that have been divided across borders and this has caused a significant amount of conflict. There are a lot of people who need safety. It is really cruel for a country like Australia to have policies that are focused only on pushing people away. What we're seeing is a number of people that remain in a state of limbo. And when non-sustainable land use combines with climate change, the crisis of refugees. I wasn't able to go and play with children. I had to go and really be an adult from a very young age. I think that's something that a lot of migrant children can relate to. Really, it was a dream for me to reunite with my family. I was just praying and hoping that that day will come one day. I think it's very important for people to understand that people have their own dreams as well and they're wanting to change the world with everybody else. Refugee Radio, 855 AM, 3CR. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land who we are broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and respect the elders past, present and emerging and their ongoing struggle. Welcome to Refugee Radio on 3CR on 855 AM or on 3cr.org.au. This week we're going to be listening to... Episode 5, which is the final episode of The Wait Podcast, and we're listening to part 2. We've been listening to this for quite some time now. It's been a really amazing podcast, which obviously took quite a lot of time to put together. So let us have a listen to the last part 
this week and again you can get all the details on the 3CR website 3cr.org.au and if you look up Refugee Radio you can find the details for the podcast as well. The Wait was recorded in Indonesia and produced on the lands of the Darawal, Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples whose sovereignty was never ceded. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. This episode contains references to suicide. Listen with care. So it's been 13 days. My dad is already looking like a caveman because of all the beard that he grew. He's not eating well, he's not getting up or talking or doing things much. It's just like a piece of meat fallen on the bed. I'm Mojgan Marafizadeh. I'm Nicole Kirby. This is The Wait. A podcast series that uncovers how Australia is pushing its borders out. And brings you into the lives of refugees like me who are caught on the borderline in Indonesia. Nemo is just a straight up inspiration to me. She's full of perseverance, positivity, strength. She's 29 now and she studied public health back home. You can only get to Nemo's place in South Jakarta by foot. So we walked along this narrow stone alleyway, past neighbours who are deep frying bananas to sell on the street, and I heard them yelling out orang hitam, or black person, at our backs as we passed. Then we arrived at Nemo's place, which shares a wall with the mosque. You're not nervous when I'm around. Yeah, you are here. So don't be, don't be. This is okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let uh, me give you a tour yeah. of Nemo's room. <laughs> like this. Mm. Uh, it's so cute. This caught my attention as we were walking in. On the front door is written, don't forget to smile. Because when the refugee come to my home, they have a problem. Then when they see this, don't forget to smile, they say, hey. Then they, <laughs> after that, they start to tell me what they want. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like a little community center for you and the yeah, volunteers you train. <laughs> Sometimes she tells me, I don't have a space to sleep. I come home and everybody's sleeping everywhere. So I'm like, I should stand up tonight. I stay here two years. First six months I came to Indonesia, I was homeless. I was sleeping in the masjid and area. In the mosque. Yeah, in the mosque. By the time she arrived in Indonesia, UNHCR had decided that so few people were being resettled that there was no point in assessing claims because resettlement isn't really on the cards. They say that there's no point in putting the refugees through this long, stressful process. And almost anyone who has arrived in the last couple of years has this same story. End of 2017, mm-hmm. I met Moshkan, and she's the first person asking me my real life. She asking me how you eat. That's a hard question for me. Then she said we have a food package program, and I say okay because and, you can. And you got it and shared it with all your friends. Oh yeah, <laughs> really. And then I find this food cycle program. Nemo is now coordinating another food program, distributing donations of leftover food from fancy hotels. The number of people receiving the food is 398 refugees. 398 refugees. So this is the freezer of community. It's not belong to me. Yeah, so you've got a massive deep freezer in this little room of yours (laughs) for all the food donations. (laughs) But I can't see your bed. I I don't have bed. I have a mattress like this. So 
It's not really a mattress. It's a thin blanket. It's a mattress of homeless people, but it's a mattress of my room. This is Indonesian flag. We respect it. You have the Indonesian flag um, pasted to your wall. So uh, when I see this flag, it's it's the place that I feel at peace. Until I was born, I never know what the kind of peace. I think the bomb car killing the people, the life is like that. But when I arrive in Indonesia, I realize this is the real peace. This is real peace for you. Yeah, so the main respect that I have in Indonesia is a safety. Like, I'm safe. No one can kill me. No one can torture me. But when you are in Somalia, it's easy. Someone can hit you. Someone can kill you. But this country, you didn't think to your mind that you are tired after a few minutes later. You can walk safe wherever you want at the middle of night. That's why I respect this flag. And this is for what I'm doing daily. Distribution most of them Saturday and Sunday. When Nemo took us through her schedule, there wasn't any spare moment in it. If I accept it Friday, I can do Sunday. So it's a bit busy. On top of the food distributions that she's doing, she's also a volunteer teacher. And she helped set up Sisterhood, which is a community center that is run for and by refugee women in Jakarta. When we talk like the women's violence is very large topic, especially gender violence for refugee women. Nemo and others often tell me about the difficulties they face as women, but these are really private conversations and no one feels comfortable talking about them openly. And the woman is a silent community. You see some women have a dangerous thing, but never tell you an HCR. If they talk, maybe their case will be priority and they can start another life. But the way of shy or the way of culture, they cannot mention it. And you see some woman, she said, why well, didn't mention this is a big problem for you? She said, the interpreter was a man. My case officer was a male. So how can I say something? A few nights ago, in the middle of the night, I received a text from a refugee woman saying, where should I report it if I'm beaten up? Should I go to the police? Should I go to the hospital? Where should I go? And then I was explaining what she can do. And it was obvious that she was beaten up by her partner. I feel like you've spoken to me about this kind of thing before. It's not uncommon, right? And I guess that's why there are initiatives like Sisterhood starting up. But Sisterhood doesn't solve the problem of, you know, if you want to separate from your partner, you can stay there. It's a safe space. It's more like you can be open talking about your issues. Like, are there solutions to that as a problem? Like... Is there anything to actually support them in that? UNHCR can help place these women in Indonesian family violence shelters. These shelters are temporary and UNHCR will usually try and find longer term solutions for them. But eventually, you know, I've heard of cases where these women have to go back to their partners. There are language and culture differences between the refugees and the Indonesians and sometimes they feel discriminated against in those shelters. And they also can experience the stigma in their own community for speaking up or for leaving their husbands, so they feel pressured to return.
Mosgan, if Nima had arrived in Indonesia 10 years ago, she would have had a refugee claim assessed and probably would have been resettled to Australia or the US within a couple of months. But that's all changed. Since the boat turned back, Australia reduced its resettlement from Indonesia and then the same with the US under Trump. And so are you thinking about resettlement? Where, like, are you hoping for that? Oh, who can ask me that question? <laughs> because I don't know where I go. I told you she doesn't like that question. <laughs> if someone asking me which country you will to go, I would go any country. Even if Indonesia gives me passport, I'm happy for that. I, I need freedom and better life for this. But I don't know. I don't have any choice now. Because even they don't want to listen to me. I was go to the UNHCR, really I'm proud of myself. Because I'm here two years, you didn't give me any interview. I have a health problem, you didn't allow me to get a health checkup. And what about my case? And she said to me, to come to Indonesia is your choice. If you want to stay, you stay. If you don't want to stay, come back Friday and tell I am you want to back your country. Your time is finished, can you leave me? And I said, okay, I never back again. If refugees aren't going to be resettled somewhere else, there's a really big question. Will Indonesia change the laws to give you rights so that someone like Nemo can make a life? Anne Maiman said that's what UNHCR is focused on, and she said it is happening slowly. I know you've been trying to speak to someone from the Indonesian government. Hi, hi. Hello. <laughs> okay, let's start, Nicole. Ashnal Habib is the Director of Human Rights and Humanitarian Affairs in the Indonesian Ministry for Foreign Affairs. There are now almost 14,000 refugees and asylum seekers living in Indonesia. What does the future hold for those people? So this is the challenge. For Indonesia, on the humanitarian principles, we want them safe. We do it. Second one, bigger challenge is how to ensure that they can be provided with the basic needs, health, education. That is still a problem. Are there any plans for rights or to address that situation? Nicole, look, we have to differentiate it between the fundamental rights and additional rights. Fundamental rights, for example, food, health, education, free from uh, fear. If you talk about ID, if you talk about certificate of education, that is an additional. For the additional right, as a non-party to the convention, we are asking the UNHCR to find a way how they can provide these additional rights to the refugee. Saya banyak mendapatkan pertanyaan. I get a lot of questions, for instance, about how they can get a job in Indonesia. Indonesian law does not grant refugees the right to work. If we gave them work rights, we'd be violating national laws. It could lead to social conflict because the local community could think refugees are taking their employment opportunities. Other rights, like the right to marry. Certainly being married is a human right. Tetapi married between refugee and the local people, it will create another complication karena nantinya anak keturunan mereka 
It would be difficult for their children to gain legal recognition, and this would create difficulties for the children involved. Do we have to change our regulation, national law, to provide them rights that they can enjoy similar with Indonesian citizen? So it's more back again, back again to the, yes. uh, the legal that, issue, is a, Nicole. Is that a question that the government is considering? Is there any plans to consider introducing laws to ensure the rights of refugees who are in Indonesia for the long term? No, what, what we do know is uh, trying to look at one by one issue. We do it a case by case and issue by issue. It was a long conversation and Pak Habib was hard to pin down, but he pretty much said no. No rights like work or marriage, no certificates of education. He also said that Australia reducing its funding to IOM has made things harder for Indonesia. I guess that means for most people that we've spoken to in this series, it's a long haul in Indonesia with no rights. That's the reality for most refugees now and there is really no other way around it. And when I think of all those people in shelters and all those people in the military barracks in Kalideres and someone like Mehdi, it's really difficult to think that they're just going to be there for who knows how long. There is the smallest glimmer of hope. Sponsored resettlements. Canada accepts 20,000 sponsored resettlements per year from all over the world. They're hard to get, but it's one way to get out of here. There are a few sponsorship programs, but the most common one is if you have a friend or connection in Canada, they can put together a group of five people who can privately sponsor your resettlement. They sponsor your visa application and then they vouch for you for the first year of your arrival in Canada. Three years ago, a group of Canadians heard of my advocacy work and they offered to sponsor me. I remember when you told me about that, it was so exciting. But it's felt like a slow letdown since then. Nothing's for certain. It's such a weird feeling. Like, I am happy, but I feel like I can't be properly happy because my family is still stuck. That's the catch. Yeah, it's only for me, not for my family. And that means that we will separate. I hope that, you know, I'll go first and be able to find a way or save up enough money, you know, to sponsor them. It's going to be a really complicated process trying to reunite us all together as a family if we are able to do it. And there is always a chance of rejection. I might not even make it. And what about Patrick? Well, he's an Indonesian citizen. I'm not worried about him. He should be able to come with me or follow me after but, you know, it's also another complication because there's been hurdles to jump through with his paperwork and that's delayed things. It's just very complicated. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. 
What about your dad? We've heard a bit about him through the series. How's he going now? My dad's still deeply depressed, and so is my mom. But at least my mom will listen to me. But for my dad, we have to take him food and he's just intent on staying home. When COVID started in February, I bought him a box of 50 surgical masks and he's only used two. Not that he doesn't believe in masks, but the only times that he went out is because I dragged him out. Where did you take him? It was one of his better mood days, so I, I asked him to come to my place to make me a recording box for recording this podcast. Oh, there's one more person in our family you forgot about. What about Bella? Not a person. No, just kidding. This sponsored resettlement. How long till you're going to be in Canada? Well, I'm not sure. It's a very slow process. It's already been two years in the making and there's probably another two years or so until I can get to Canada only if they accept my application. So, you know, it's definitely not over. Who knows how long it will take or whether or not I'll get approved. Moshgan, we worked on this podcast for two years and we've included some very dramatic, some very traumatic moments. We told your life as a story, but the reality is messier and slower than that. Yeah, on a day today, it's just this boring, long wait that I don't know what to do with. Your towel is here, Bab. I don't know what to do most of the time. So I'm just sitting there, laying there, waiting.
The Wait was written and produced by Nicole Kirby and co-hosted by me, Mojgan Marafizale. Michael Green is the co-writer and supervising producer. Sound design and mixing by Beg Fari. The Wait was produced in conjunction with The Guardian and first aired on their Full Story News podcast, with editorial support from Miles Martignoni at The Guardian Australia. Support for this project was provided by the Walkley Public Fund and a Judith Nielsen Institute freelance grant for Asian journalism. A big thank you to everyone who shared their story for this series. And thanks also to Tesserex, Gem Rommel, Trish Cameron, Andre Dow, Donnie Marmer, Patrick Tumeau and Ben Doherty. Theme music by Emma Davis. Thanks for listening to this series. If you liked us, leave us a rating and review. There are also photos, videos and more information on our website, theweightpodcast.com. Here to stay. So you're on Refugee Radio this week on 3CR. We've listened to the final episode of the Wait Podcast, which is about refugees who have been stuck in Indonesia due to the policies by the Australian state and have been there for quite a few years now without any options. So next week we're going to be listening to an interview by a Tamil refugee about detention, traditional food and their food business. Uh, that business is called Tukutuka Kotu Roti Man and they're actually going to be at the event today which is at Series Joe's Market Garden. And that's from 2 to 6 p.m. So you can get down and try out that food and then hear the story after that next week. I was there ne- nearly uh, one and a half years, nearly, I, I think. Then uh, we move, I move uh, Vipa in Queensland. I was uh, totally locked up in immigration camp six years, more than six years. Uh, talk with the refugees and... Some news are uh, we we it's make us very pain because um it's unbelievable news come sometime because uh, they that news I don't know where they're getting but we are uh, still alive uh, living in this community so anyone before the put on news so they can find out one refugee talk face to face so anyway so after that they can put a news because they want to put a new uh, real life or real situation about refugees and in this Australia also a lot of refugees a lot of people are um, having very hard time a uh, lot of situation they are their visa condition and um, language barrier and still some people 11 years finished some people locked up one person one of my friends is still locked up in immigration camp so find out that uh, kind of um, people and help them and yeah, support for us. So, Hi, this is Rafiv Ziada and you're listening to 3CR Pro-Palestinian Happily Proud Radio. It's been 30 years since the Royal Commission released its final report into Aboriginal deaths in custody. 
Things have actually got worse and there is still no justice. Come along to the National Day of Action. Stop Aboriginal deaths in custody. Black Lives Matter. Saturday the 10th of April, 1pm on the steps of Parliament House, Melbourne. Join us in the streets to demand justice and self-determination. See you there.